You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. I'm pretty excited, actually, today, and I hope that I am able to kind of share with you kind of everything that's in my heart, because I think this is a really kind of fascinating couple of selections of scripture that are kind of on the docket for today. The first has to do with kind of Jesus, of course, and he's, in his, he's doing his ministry, and um, he's casting out this evil spirit, and in the process, you know, the, the evil spirits like son of the Holy One, son of the Most High, why have you come to torment us before our time? And he's like, shh, you know, shut up. And then he, he cast the demon out. That's an interesting kind of phenomenon. Like not only does Jesus kind of tell that unclean spirit to be quiet, but that's not an uncommon thing in Mark's gospel where Jesus is kind of telling various people to be quiet. Like, he will heal somebody, but, you know, like, well, don't tell anyone. You know, just go present yourself to the priest. Um, or any time that someone seems to identify Jesus as either the Christ, the Messiah, the King, or as the Son of God, he, he seems to, I don't know, resist it just a bit, Right? Like, they'll say, hey, you are the Christ, and he's like, well, the Son of Man, and he goes on to say something. Or, you're the Son of God, and he's like, well, the Son of Man will do something. And it, it raises a bit of a question, like, why the secrecy? Why the, why the diversion? And what might this have to do with Epiphany, right? I mean, if, if Epiphany is about revelation, about manifestation, are we supposed to kind of know new things about God this is an interesting text during Epiphany. Like, this isn't about, about kind of letting people know things. This is about kind of hiding things. It'd be like, <laughs> like you're, you're not going to know something. And then, of course, um, there's this, you know, Paul's epistle where he speaks about knowledge in such disparaging ways, right? Well, we all possess knowledge. Look, we all know stuff. Good job. <laughs> Proud of you. <laughs> you bunch of smart people. We all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And so somehow I think these texts do fit into the church's uh, season of Epiphany, and they fit into our, as we practice that, our series about all in the family. Because when you're in a family... Being a part of a family is not a matter of knowing all the facts, right? There's, there are plenty fa of facts about you that it's not a measurement of really how well someone knows you. So I don't teach this class so much anymore at the college, but I used to teach a course a lot, um, especially to sophomores, about how to interpret scripture. Uh, just a sidebar here, you know what the term sophomore means? It comes from Sophia, which means wisdom, and moron, uh, which means fool. <laughs> so a sophomore, it means wise fool. It's, it's what happens when we've read a little bit, like we, and so therefore we think we know, 
and we think we know more than we actually know. So hopefully don't say sophomores forever. There actually is in English an adjective, sophomoric, which means that you're a know-it-all and uh, you don't actually know things. But in any case, in this, in this sophomore class, I was teaching a course on scripture and I would often compare kind of um, my work, and especially years ago, to the work of my brother-in-law, who's a neonatologist. So when he was in medical school, one of the courses that he had to take was gross anatomy. And in gross anatomy, they dissected uh, a human cadaver, uh, which is remarkable and scary and awesome. And there's so much that medical students learn about the cadaver that they study. Like they could tell you all sorts of things about, I don't know, the weight of the liver and the uh, consistency of the kidney and the length of the intestine and, and the, the, the condition of the heart and all sorts of things, the respiratory system and the, and the, the blood system and all sorts of things. But do those four or five or six students who are assigned to that cadaver, do they know that person? Or is it their family that knew them? Like, you all know me, but you don't, it's like, you don't know me because you happen to know the particular health of my, of my respiratory system or what my blood pressure is or my blood sugar is or even how much I weigh. Right? That's, that is a, that's not a measurement of how well you know me. Like this type of knowledge that we're talking about isn't a matter of fact. It's a matter of faith. Faith and love are a way of knowing that it's not that they're independent of facts, but they're not dependent on facts. Right? They're not independent from facts, but they're not dependent on facts. Because this is a way of knowing. And this is why I think, or at least one of the reasons why, I think Jesus tells this unclean spirit to be quiet. Now listen, you can go online and you can look up the, the secrecy motif in Mark's gospel, the theme of secrecy, and you'll find all sorts of ideas that have been proposed, say, the last 125 years. And they're pretty amazing. Uh, None of them have really held sway, but let me tell you, they're, they're creative. Like the scholars didn't know quite to do with it, and so we made up a lot of possibilities, like hypotheses. But there, there are two that are kind of holding the day. One of them is this, is that <clears throat> Jesus learned a fair amount from John the Baptist and how he had experienced the political scene of his day, Right? So you realize that John the Baptist was an exemplar for Jesus in a lot of ways. It was Jesus that went to John to be baptized, right? And of course, John had a very public ministry. He confronted evil. Um, when he saw something he didn't like, he spoke out publicly about it, you know, particularly King Herod, Herod Antipas. And of course, we know how that ended for John, right? He was beheaded. So when your exemplar speaks publicly and gets beheaded, one of the things you learn is that when you speak publicly, you should be a little bit more encoded, right? That you need to stick and jab, right? You don't need to confront them head on. You need to get your message out there. So it's, a, it's kind of a politically savvy move for Jesus to teach in one village 
in a way, like use parables. People won't understand what those mean, right? And then um, quiet those who make the confession that you are the, the son of God or the son of the Holy One, right? When you heal someone, send them away quietly. Let them present themselves to the priest. Then you'll have a chance to kind of move to the next village. And by the time they realize what it is, if they like it, they will have received it. And if they don't like it, they won't have a chance to kill you because you will have already moved on. So there, there's probably at least some of that, I think, in this kind of secrecy motif. I think that's part of it. It's not the totality of it, but I think it is part of it. But more importantly, theologically and spiritually, and I think more importantly for us today, the reason that Jesus tells the demon to be quiet is not because he got the facts wrong, right? The demon said of Jesus, Holy One of God. So, little, little uh, pop quiz. How many of you think that Jesus is the Holy One of God? Show of hands. I know you're hesitant to do this because the demon called the, and you're like, I, he's going to call me a demon if I raise my hand. No, I'm not. Everybody raise your hand because this is the right answer. Jesus is the Holy One of God. <clears throat> the demon did not get the content <clears throat> of, Jesus, of Jesus wrong, or that is, he didn't get the wrong answer as to who Jesus is. Jesus tells him, though, to shut up because, <laughs> as we might say from where I'm from, you keep my name off your lips. <laughs> don't, you, don't you say my family's name in your mouth. <clears throat> you know, it's like fighting words, right? And the reason we don't want our opponents, right, to say our names or the names of our family or the names of our loved ones is because they don't really know them. They don't love them. They might know something about them, but they don't really know who they are. Because when he says, Holy One of God, he identifies him as a torturer. Holy One of God, have you come to torment us before our time? What he got wrong is not that Jesus is the Holy One of God. What he got wrong is that Jesus is a tormentor. That's like a dementor. <laughs> All of a sudden, those words crossed in my mind, right? That's what he got wrong about Jesus, and that's what we always get wrong, right? This, this, is, a, this is a problem that we have in evangelical Christianity, and we've had it for about 60 or 70 years, but it seems that we're facing the long-term effects of it. We reduce Christianity to a group of ideas that we wanted people to hold. And we thought that if preachers or teachers would teach you these small group of ideas and that you could mentally acquiesce to those things, then that then you would be part of the group. That somehow you would be Christian if you could confess certain things. If you had, if you possessed certain knowledge. And we made it we made Christianity into kind of a head trip. Just show up to church on Sundays, listen to someone preach, read your Bible every now and then would be good or maybe pray, but as long as you think the right things about God, you're good. Jesus' brother, James, helps us on this one. In his letter to the Jews, he says, look, even the demons believe and tremble. 
the fact that you might believe the right things about God in no way is helpful. That's not what this is about. It's not about getting the right answer on a test. It's not about possessing some kind of knowledge. As Paul would say later to the Corinthians, look, we all possess knowledge. We know stuff. And if he thinks they possess knowledge now, what about today? I mean, we got the internet. We, 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 got, it in our, we got it in our pockets. Right? We got Hey Google and Siri and Alexa. We got like personal AI assistants that follow us around. That can answer all sorts of questions. Hey Siri, what's the temperature? Oh, you couldn't hear. She said it's 68. It's actually gotten colder. It was 70 when I woke up this morning. Look, we're doing this all the time at our house. We're like, we're watching a show. There'll be some actor we like. And we're like, how tall do you think he is? How old is she? Right? And so we ask age and height. If someone ever did a search on our personal AI, I would be so embarrassed. Like the number of times we've asked Alexa how tall or how old someone is. And it's like a family competition. Like who's the best at guessing their age and height? In that passage that Justin read so beautifully for us, he says, now concerning food, sacrifice to idols, we know all of us possess knowledge. I didn't think I'd do that twice today, but there it is. <laughs> knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. When Paul says anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, do you know who the character in the gospel story matches that description by Paul? Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. It's the unclean spirit. It's the demon. He's the one who claimed to know something, but he didn't have the necessary knowledge. Right? He claimed to know something, holy one of God. But he didn't have the necessary knowledge because he didn't know who the Holy One of God really was. Because the only way you can know who the Holy One of God really is, is when you love him. Because when you love him, you are known by him. And when you love him, you'll really know who he is. You'll know not only that he's holy, but you'll know that he did not come to torment or to torture. He didn't even come to be served. Jesus will tell us later, right? Somebody will say, hey, you're the Christ. And he's like, look, the Son of Man <laughs> did not come to be served, but to serve. Like, that's beautiful identity. And it's true. Like, it's true about who he is. He didn't come to kill. He came to die. And that's at the very heart of the gospel. We celebrate it every Sunday when we come to the table. Like, we say the, the words of institution, this is my body which is broken for you, take and eat. This is my blood which is shed for you 
and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. We are constantly acknowledging who the Holy One of God is. And you can only know God by love. Again, it's not a matter of fact. It's a matter of faith. You can know all the facts and still be wrong. And I know for some of you, that, that's a, that, that kind of dissonance is just too hard to handle, right? Because you're like, hey, if I get it all right, if I can check off all my boxes, if I can do my to-do list, then I'll be okay. That kind of works righteousness has no place in the Christian faith. It's not about what you do or even what you know or, or, or what you don't do, right? That's how it was when I was a kid, right? It wasn't about what we knew or about what we did. It was just about what we didn't do, right? We don't smoke and we don't dip and we don't chew and we don't go out with girls who do. <laughs> right? Those were, those were the things that we said. And I, drink was in there somewhere too. I, I left it out, I think. Uh, that was probably just subconsciously. Um, <laughs> But we, we kind of left out all those things, right? Like we didn't know who we were. And it's so true here. Again, if I can just read a little bit more, reread, because we, we've heard this already. So that anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. I think that's the demon. If we had to overlay uh, Paul's letter onto the gospel. But anyone who loves God, anyone who loves God is known by him. This is how families work, right? Because if you were to, I don't know, do something that acquired a certain amount of fame, and I, I mean fame, not infamy, right? But you, you really, you did something, you accomplished it, and now people kind of knew who you were, right? So we, could, we couldn't go out in public with you much because people wanted your autograph and they'd want to shake your hand or they wanted to say congratulations or, you know, thank you for your work or your service. We're proud of you, right? Those people don't really know our loved one and nor are they known by them, right? Because when we love God, we are known, truly known, like who we really are. This is, this is so important, I think, because sometimes we, we will fail to even know ourselves because we're so busy trying to project some kind of version of ourselves to the world that we want other people to think about us, that we, we almost become pathological, just kind of believing our own stories. But there is a truth about who we are. And it's deeper than the facts about our bodies or our lives. And it's deeper than just our thoughts. And it's deeper than our emotions. It is our true selves that are formed by the Spirit into the image of Christ. And that's who God knows. When we love, we are known by Him. And that, I think, is what it means to be a family. To be all in, to be the ride or die, to have a stability, a commitment, a long-term kind of stay with it. Like that's what we need. We need it in the church. I've, I've, I've 
we joke about it, right? Uh, I, there was this, um, you know, in the Back to the Future movie, Biff, who's a little bit, you know, not the smartest guy. Um, there's the old thing, let's make like a tree and leave. Except he would always say, like, let's make like a tree and get out of here. Like he, 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 he could never get the phrase right. And then, of course, there's like a million of those. And I'm, I'm not going to say them because I'd get myself in trouble because some of them are a little risque. But, but in particular, there was one that I heard. You, you know those, right? Like make like a tree and leave. That's funny. Have you heard the one, let's make like a church and split? Ugh. It's too, too close for comfort. Listen, if that made you uncomfortable, you'd really feel bad about the other ones I know. So, but yeah, it, become, it becomes a joke, right? You, you'll, you'll indulge me just a little bit more. You've probably heard this one before. But for those of you who have it, you'll love it. Uh, a man was stranded on an island, 25 years, survived completely by himself. It's not Tom Hanks and Castaway. It's an actual story a real live human being. And when he was rescued, they were amazed, not just at his physical health, that he'd been able to maintain his health all those years, but also at like his mental health. Like how was he able to keep it together that long? And when questioning him about it, they noticed that there were these buildings along the beach. And so they asked him, like, what's this building? He said, well, that's my house. I had to have a way to protect myself from the elements, Right. That's why I'm, I'm here today. It's because I had my house to protect me. And they said, well, what's that second building? And he said, well, that's my church. I really felt like I needed a separate place to go and pray and worship and be with God. And they said, well, what's that third building? He goes, ah, it's the church I used to go to. <laughs> oh, it's good. Look, the Corinthians were all beside themselves. In Corinth, um, Strabo, the Greek historian, names 32 different uh, houses of worship. Now, that's not like us, where we have, you know, 32, you know, churches between here and downtown. We're, we're talking about worship of different gods, like here they worship Asclepius, and there they worship Aphrodite, and here they worship Apollo. Like, they're worshiping different gods at these different temples. And he lists 32 of them, and we know there was more than that, because he doesn't even list a synagogue. And we know there was a synagogue there, right? Not only because the scripture tells us that Paul went to one, but we found physical evidence of a synagogue in Corinth. So all these different places of worship, and the way they worshiped, is when you went there, you would uh, sacrifice an animal to the God. Well, if everybody's doing that in a big city, you have a lot more sacrifices than you have people who can consume them. So they would take that meat and then they would sell it in the market. And so if you're buying meat in the market, you could ask, who was this sacrificed to? And if it was sacrificed, again, to say Asclepius, you might say, oh, well, that's the God of health. I like to be healthy. I'm, I, I'm a member of the Y, right? I'm, I'm, you know, running two miles a day. Asclepius is my God. So I'm going to buy this meat because I know it was sacrificed to Asclepius. And as I eat that meat, I'll be healthy and I will have worship 
the God of health, and so therefore I will be healthy, right? So that's, that was their thought process. And so <clears throat> these Christians felt like, well, we don't, we don't want to participate in those things, right? So we, we, we can't buy meat in the market because that meat had been sacrificed to a God. And there were other Christians who were like, I don't think that's that big a deal because those gods don't exist. They're fake. Like, what's an idol? It's like stone or wood or metal. It's, it's nothing. And so you're like dumb and superstitious. You know, get over yourselves. Eat some meat. <laughs> don't worry about it. And Paul's like, maybe you shouldn't be so haughty. Maybe you should keep your knowledge to yourself and worry about the, the conscience of your brother or sister. There's something more important than being right. And it's called being loving. There's something more important than being right. And it's called being loving. John will say this to the church at Ephesus when he writes the book of Revelation. He goes, good job, folks. You got this right that the Nicolaitans theologically are wrong. Well done. But you have lost your first love. And unless you repent, I'm going to come and remove the spirit from your presence. How do you actually remove the spirit who's omnipresent from presence? I'm not exactly sure, but that's up to God. God's going to do it. And he's going to do it to them in Ephesians. He's going to do it to them because they're all caught up on trying to get it just right. And again, James would say, even the demons get this right, <laughs> right, that Jesus is Lord. Even the demons know that. So don't think the fact that you call Jesus Lord is going to do you any good because that's not what it's about. It's not about what you know. It's about who knows you. And the one who knows you knows you because you love. When you love, you are known, Paul says. And that's what I think, again, it means to be in a family. And it's what we have to get right in our day. We, we need a revival. <laughs> Not a revival necessarily where everybody's kind of learning things they didn't know before or kind of confessing things they hadn't confessed before. We need a revival of love. Right? Jesus will say over and over and over, have eyes that can see and ears that can hear. And the eyes that can see and the ears that can hear are eyes that can see him for who he is, not some projection of who you think he might be, the Holy One who comes to torment, but who he actually is. And ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, but what the Spirit is telling us about Jesus is that he's the one. He's the one who loves and he's the one who suffers and dies. This has always been the promise, right? From the days of old, right? From the time of Isaiah when he talked about a suffering servant who's by his stripes we are healed and our chastisements are upon him, right? He is that one. 
the one who is full of the Holy Spirit, who would bind up the brokenhearted, who would give sight to the blind and freedom to the captive, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's Jubilee. This is that one. That's the epiphany. And it's an epiphany that cannot be grasped. Grasped? How do you say that? Yeah, thank you. Through our minds alone, but through our hearts. Do me a favor. Close your eyes and bow your head. This is a typical position for prayer. Doesn't mean you have to have your eyes closed and head bowed for prayer, but this is a typical position. It's an old practice. By closing our eyes, we're not being distracted by those things that are going on around us. And by bowing our heads, we are giving a certain amount of deference to our heart. You see, our head is above our heart, and we're all so concerned about what we think and what we know, and is it right? Trying to get all the facts in a row. Not realizing that it's not a matter of fact. It's a matter of faith. And faith, faith grows from love. And love knows. It knows deeply. So my prayer for us today is that, Lord, grace us once again with your presence in ways that we can be aware of it. Lord, shape our attention and intention that we might be present with you and with one another, that we could cancel out all the noise of the world and its misconceptions about who you are and that we might even cancel out all the noise and misconceptions not just in the world but even in our own church tradition that would make claims about you that are off. Help us, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Like in the psalm that we heard this morning, may the fear of the Lord be the beginning of wisdom. A wisdom that allows us to know how to use knowledge and not exalt knowledge. Certainly not above love. Not above one another. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.